Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. There's a place here at the table, your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic, cause your waistband's gonna get tight. Take time's done, we're having a night. Hello, everybody. I am Sophie. And I am Ari, and you're listening to Having a Night, the podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party. It is February. And in the Northeast, I know you guys are having a lot of snow in other parts of the country, but in the Northeast, it's getting warm. It's going to be in the 40s all week. Woohoo! Bikini weather. <laughs> Don't you think it's going to drop? Don't you think we're going to get all of this snow and, and craziness and what is it? Arctic chill? There's a part of me that's like, what if we're just having a really normal winter in which it started snowing in late November, it's kept snowing, and then February is going to be cold, and then March, it'll be like the buds begin to pop out. I'm down for either extreme. What I don't want is just another couple months of like, meh, nothing kind of in in between. Yeah. You know? of course I, I, I welcome more snow. I, I want a winter event, a weather event, I should say. You don't feel like we had had a weather event a couple of weeks ago? We had big snow. I do. We had I, big I'm snow. Sure. Yeah, we, we did. No. <laughs> I think I, I've just, I, I'll have seconds. I love a big snow. I mean, as we said, just an excuse to stay inside. But I feel like last year was so crazy where we had a big snow upstate where I was staying for COVID the first week of May. And like that, I'm not down for it. I mean, that's obviously nice. just a clear sign of climate change yes. and like that I'm not excited about, but yes, one more February snow I'd be into. Okay. Much more importantly, what did you eat this week? I'm hoping that you're going to give me some tidbits about your Valentine's day meal, but you can tell me other things too. Oh yes, of course. Of course. We went to my friend Hallie Chambers's restaurant, Rodora in Brooklyn in Fort Greene. It was, it is, if you guys don't know about it, the first no waste restaurant. And uh, it's a wine bar and restaurant, incredible place. So delicious. They had a pop-up um, with this incredible chef who was doing like these kind of vegan uh, Thai curries. Ooh. So it was so, so good. This forest winter vegetable curry had like some squash in it. It wasn't too coconutty, which usually I love, but it was just, I don't know, it was a little bit creamy, but a lot, a lot, a lot of sourness. Mm. And I mean, there was a sh a short rib situation, but they were they were sold out. I didn't even I didn't even miss it. I could I eat that every day. Yeah, side with heat lamps. Oh, um, incredible cocktail! I'm so glad you reminded me of Valentine's Day because Facha Bruto did their specialty Valentine's Day cocktail, and we've had cool. you know uh, we've featured Facha Bruto before on the show. They made this hot cocktail with an aperitif, aperitivi that they make, and I forget what else was in it, but there was no tea in it. Ah. So I've never had a, it was like a hot cocktail that was just a, I mean, it was like just, just a hot, hot cocktail. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't need to be tea or like herbal, you know what I mean? It doesn't need to be spiced. Right. It was like, it was like um, an aperitif and, and, I don't know. I think there might've been some mezcal in it. Ooh, that yeah. sounds delightful. I, I do think hot cocktails are tricky because you don't want to feel like you're drinking hot vodka. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's something very, that's Ew. like a real turnoff about having something that acrid and hot. But mm -hmm. I think if you can like smooth it out, which I think is why they always do like a spiked, spiked hot chocolate, spiked Irish coffee. Right. So it's like, there's a creamier element to mm -hmm. counteract it. That sounds delicious though. I also realized when you said forest curry, I have such a Pavlovian response to the word forest. 
Really? Like, as soon as you said forest, I was like, oh, I would have ordered that in a second. Like there's something about anything that says forest, I'm like, ooh, pine needles or mushrooms or like, you know, ground, yeah. you know, like dirt in a good way. Yeah. Or like this feels like it's it must be right from the forest. Like exactly. it feels fresh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In fact, it's Thai food and definitely probably not from the forest. There's yeah. a, a pasta at this amazing pasta place near us called Resdora. And the pasta is called, I think it's called grandmother walking through the forest. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I have to have it. Yes. <laughs> must eat this tonight. Yeah. It evokes foraging, I suppose. Yes. Yes, exactly. What did you eat for Valentine's Day? Oh my gosh. Well, I made something on Valentine's Day that I'm about to make again for lunch because I was so excited by it. So Harry and I had come, we spent a little bit of time in Vermont last week eating pretty heavy food. So we wanted to have something a little bit lighter for Valentine's, which I feel like contradicts everything that I was saying in our Valentine's Day episode when I was like, Chateaubriand, Anna, you know, (laughs) but we shucked our own oysters. We had 18 oysters, which was of course, delicious. Then I made these rice bowls. So we got sushi rice, mixed the rice in with mentaiko, which if any of our listeners don't know what mentaiko is, it's cod roe. So it's like a teeny sack. It's a sack of cod roe that is then mixed actually with like some hot chili. So it's both fishy and spicy. And the eggs are teeny, teeny tiny. So I mixed butter and mentaiko in with the rice. Yes. Then I chopped some shizo and put that on top. Then I put on ikura, which is salmon roe. I cooked some shiitake, fresh shiitake mushrooms down in some mirin soy sauce and a little bit of dashi. Mm-hmm. And then I homemade goma ai, which I had never made, which is like, you can do it with green beans, but I did it with spinach. People do it with like Japanese mustard greens. So I just did it with regular spinach. Basically I blanched the spinach and then I hand ground. I'm loving my Japanese mortar and pestle. I am living for it lately. Uh, So I ground, I toasted sesame seeds, ground them down, and then basically added again, I think it was like mirin, soy, Mm -hmm. something else, but it was so good. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So I'm making it again for lunch today. Proud of you. Take some pictures, post them. Oh, I actually did take pictures. I didn't post it, but I did take pictures. So I I will. I love that. Yeah, it was really good. Quick question before we get to our guest. Do you think that grinding your own sesame seeds and toasting them, that's better than using just like tahini? Because isn't that essentially what you're doing? So yeah, I mean, tahini, you have to grind them for like hours. Whereas for something like goma'ai, the point is for it to have texture. So it's like Uh some of it is a paste and then some of them are just kind of like crushed, if that makes sense. Yes, I love that. Yeah. So I think I, I really enjoyed that. And also if you toast them yourself and then you start grinding them, you, the aroma hits you, like you smell those oils so much. And it Mm -hmm. really just made me feel very cool. (laughs) I'm glad you had, you felt cool on Valentine's day. Me too. And then I made this miso caramel chocolate ganache tart, which was great and very easy. No baked crust. You really, you won the day. Turned it out, baby. Anyway, okay. Delicious. Delicious. Let's talk about our guest. So we haven't, I think we have not had a beverage specialist on in a while. No, we have been desperately needing it. And uh, this episode really fulfills that void. We learned so much talking yeah. to this guest. I was, lit- I was taking notes like my hand was hurting. I felt like I was back in college. <laughs> So our guest is Eamon Rocky. He is so fantastic. We've never had on an actual cocktail maker, bartender, mixologist. We do get into the jargon, which I felt very stupid asking him afterwards because he was like, doesn't really matter what you call us. The point is. (laughs) (laughs) So he is the founder of Rocky's Milk Punch, which you're going to hear a lot about in this episode. The history was so fascinating. Also, I mean, his resume is stacked. It's crazy. So before founding Rocky's Milk Punch, he worked at 11 Madison Park. He's been a beverage director at a bunch of places. He's opened a lot of really, really high-end restaurants. The director of beverage studies at ICE, the Institute of Culinary Education, which is bomb. He went to the CIA. 
It's Connor yeah. Institute of America. I'm just um, loving ICE and CIA. If this were a different podcast, those would mean something very different. That's so true. Very funny shared acronyms there. He's just like a wealth of knowledge about beverage and the beverage industry and just like how to make alcohol taste delicious. We also talk a lot about punch because, you know, Ari and I are big fans of punches. Um, so this was a very fun, super informative informative episode for us. So we hope you guys enjoy. We are live with Eamon Rocky. So excited to start talking about the world of cocktails, which I would not consider myself to be a a home bartender or mixologist. Ari, what about you? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. It's usually like, oh my God, I have guests coming over. I have to like take two shots and then attempt to make a punch, you know, so that's my life. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I mean, okay. So to begin, Eamon, let's talk about the word mixologist because I feel like the word mixologist sort of came into our common language uh, when Brooklyn became cool in the early 2000s. (laughs) But is mixologist, is that now a derogatory term? Is that the preferred term? What would you say? Uh, I try not to get grumpy about too much these days because there's there's way way too many things that are seriously upsetting in the world, you know, <laughs> and what, what people use to distinguish themselves with regard to their job title is not one of them for me. But, you know, when I started working as a bartender in... I guess, 2008. Um, I was working in a bar called 11 Madison Park or a restaurant's bar called 11 Madison Park, learning what it meant to make cocktails and about the history of them, you know, and and coming from a uh, cook's background, which is mm-hmm. what I went to school for and what I did professionally for a long time. My parents were chefs. Um, you know, I, I always sort of felt like I identified um, as a bartender when I was being trained by the old school fellas. And mm-hmm. then every once in a while, there'd be somebody who was really you know, sort of coming up as well, but but had been doing it for a little while, cut their teeth at some great bars. And and they chose to adopt the sort of mixology, you know, uh, umbrella for themselves. And I, I get I get it both ways. Uh, I feel like, you know, there are bartenders that are that are great hosts and and um, enjoy the craft of the cocktail, you know, yeah. uh, and and all that that entails. And I think that's much more than what's in the glass, you know. Uh, it's it's about being cognizant of the safety and well-being of everyone in your bar. About it's about setting the right tone with music and with you know decor, all all the stuff, right? You know, caring for your people and in your team as well, for that matter. And I think the bartender definitely encompasses all of that. You know, and, and there are mixologists that aren't really very good at that at all, and that's okay because right. that's that's not right. their forte. And whereas mixology for me. Um, it's, it's about making drinks in, in whatever fashion is required or necessary or benefits the bar, right. That, that these cocktails are going into, um, there's a very important book, you know, and I recommend it to anybody, um, Ari, if you're, if you're looking to, you know, maybe, maybe take some shots and make a punch that you're really proud of, um, you can, yeah, (laughs) take a look at, take a look at, uh, you know, Gary Regan's The Joy of Mixology. Um, okay. It's a, it's a spectacular book. He's a great storyteller, an incredible writer. He passed away recently, which is very sad. Um, but his legacy will live on undoubtedly. He's incredible. And I had the, I had the opportunity to meet him and, and develop a, uh, a relationship with him, thankfully, while he was still uh, around and tormenting people. Uh, and I mean that endearingly. He was, he was a riot. You know, he, but he, I think, legitimized the word mixology because he chose as an old school bartender, somebody who people consider to be amongst the greats. Uh, he chose to say that it is mixology and, and he wrote a book that really sort of cemented that. So, yeah, I, I think bartending is, is so much more than what's in the glass and mixology is all about what's in the glass. And mm. therefore, from my perspective, um, they're, they're both uh, legitimate uh, uh, titles, they're legitimate words. I mean, thank you for taking an incredibly stupid and poorly formed question. No, and coming no, up with a awesome. very erudite and true answer of those are like they are two different things and they require they require different skills. So I yeah. love that. You went to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde yeah, Park, New York. I went to sure Vassar did. for undergrad. So you guys Whoa. Were, I had dinner at, at at the restaurant at the CIA awesome. many times I, when the parents came. I dated I dated a Vassar professor while I was in school. It was awesome. Ooh. She taught me that uh ginger, she was Indian and she cooked much more with ginger than horseradish. 
that ginger is actually uh, as good, if not arguably better, especially if it's fresh, than horseradish in a Bloody Mary. Um, mm. It blew me away. And as, yeah, as a 21-year-old, uh, as a 21-year-old college kid at the time, uh, to to get a bartending tip from your, like, college professor girlfriend, you know, it was, it was pretty neat. It was yeah, pretty neat. I thought college professor girlfriend. It was cool. Yeah, life. it was super cool. <laughs> Do you still make your Bloody Marys with ginger rather than horseradish? I would say not. It's, it's not a rather thing, but usually kind of in, in addition to, they don't compete. I, I think that they're actually really good with each other. So mm. like when I'm, if it's, if it's Bloody Mary time, I actually usually use what's called, um, or make what's called a red snapper. Uh, red snapper is, is a, is a Bloody Mary made with gin instead of vodka. Um, and the funny thing is you wouldn't know if, if I make, when I make, and sometimes I'll do this to my friends. I would never do this in a bar cause that's not right. But if I'm doing this uh, for a friend, you know, sometimes I'll slip gin in instead of vodka into a Bloody Mary and not one person has ever known. They're just like, wow, this is so good, you know, because right. it just t- it tastes better, you know, and yeah. adding a couple couple little brushes of, uh, of fresh ginger in with the ideally fresh horseradish as well. Man, it, it's the best Bloody Mary ever. It's really, really good. And I owe it to her. I'm wow. definitely <laughs> going to try the gin thing and also the ginger thing. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. I might try tomorrow. Yeah. And and the the name Red Snapper. Fabulous. Right? It's a good name. It's a yeah. really good name. So let's talk about Rockies. So Rockies yeah. Milk Punch. I did a little bit of research into Milk Punch, but then I was like, well, I want, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Okay, guys, for our listeners who don't know, Milk Punch does have milk in it, but the drink is clear. I'm so confused. Yeah. Please drop <laughs> some knowledge bombs on me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I uh, I have, over the course of the last two years that Rockies has been on market, I've learned a tremendous amount about something that I thought I was the expert on. Oh, and wow. yeah, and it's it's really interesting. I, I've been I've been producing um, classic, clarified English style milk punches uh, for you know pretty much my whole career in in bars and restaurants, um, and they're fascinating. Wait, so sorry. So a milk, will you just like kind of define what a milk punch is? Because sure. is it a punch? Is it a cocktail? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So there's a few things going on. Uh, yes, it's a cocktail. I mean, there are people that would get really like nit- nitpicky on nomenclature, uh, but we don't have time for that. And and neither, neither do they. They should move on. Um, it's a cocktail by, uh, for all intents and purposes of the word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a mixed drink, right? And it's also punch. Punches uh, are, are typically if you want to get real nerdy about it, are sort of defined by uh, a communal cocktail or, uh, you know, early, early cocktails. If you look at some of the first cocktail books, even individual cocktails are essentially just small punches. They're, they're using the exact same methodology, just making small punches. So even, even, even size and volume is, is kind of arbitrary. It's just about what's in it. And a punch, uh, it's derived from the word punch, which means five. So you have a spirit, you have an acidifying agent, you have a tea, you have a spice, and you have a sugar, right? You have a sweetener. Uh, so those five ingredients are typically in virtually every punch. And and again, you know, nobody's running around with the checklist and calling people out. I, I hope not, at least. Uh, but generally, that's what a punch is, right? And so a, a clarified English-style milk punch, it's all those things, right? So you combine all of them, and the difference between a milk punch and just a classic punch is that you you actually use a little bit of milk in the batch to make it clear. And that's that sounds counterintuitive, but it's absolutely true. It's been done this way, by the way, for like 400 years. It's crazy. Um, and even before that, there were sort of rustic versions of the same cocktail that are known as possets and syllabums, right. which are both really, really fun words, you know? Um, and, and, you know, what's cool is that uh, and I think fitting for a couple of reasons, uh, you can look back on old writings, old literature, old plays uh, from those, you know, 15th century, 16th century and earlier and see lots of mentions of possets and syllabubs, uh, which which depending on how they're being consumed and by whom were as often uh, a cure for for a cold or for a tummy ache as they mm-hmm. were a beverage to be sipped and enjoyed as a boozy libation, you know, right. uh, because milk punch and, and possets and syllabubs that are related to it. It contains lots of nutrients. It contains lots of this vitamin C and, and acidity and freshness. 
from the citrus uh, that's used in, in, in making them. Uh, there's a bit of booze. And as anybody who's watched, you know, the I Love Lucy Vitamina Vegemin episode, yes. you know, you know, the booze makes you feel good. Right. Right. So so alcohol is is and was um, something that just makes you feel better when you're not feeling great. And that's mm-hmm. that doesn't change in years. So um, it's sort of this combination of things that makes you feel better if you're not feeling well. And also, too, they're, they're sterile. Right. In the same way that drinking beer right. uh, is 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 a healthy way to consume uh, water if you need something that that can keep you hydrated obviously if there's higher alcohol then it kind of does the opposite of that but you know low proof uh, low alcohol beers keep you hydrated uh, if, if you need to drink water and the water that's mm-hmm. around you you don't know if it's going to make you sick right right so that's why um, you always bring beers when you go hiking that's why you bring Just beers when you go hiking that's exactly right i mean that's right uh, don't drink the, the angel, water from the river. camelback full of that's beer. right that's right so of course um what you do is to make a classic milk punch you take some sort of booze some sort of tea some sort of citrus uh something sweet and fresh like called apple juice or watermelon juice or orange juice or whatever whatever you want something that's tasty and tasty and sweet uh ideally in season um you can spice it if you want to nutmeg cinnamon clove whatever makes you happy chili peppers whatever whatever makes sense for the blend that you're producing right you combine all those things and you bring a little bit of milk to the boil and you pour that milk. You know, it doesn't take much. You pour that directly into the rest of the stuff, right? And, and that uh, fresh citrus and the alcohol will sort of react to the heated milk and it'll break. It's, you can see it happen. It's a physical reaction. You can see it happen. Uh, and, and what you then do is uh, you carefully, and there's a specific process, but, you know, there's, there's a way to essentially remove all the stuff, all the gunk, Right. Wow. And what? if you do it, pro- yeah, if you do it properly, you, you take out all the gunk and what you have is this perfectly clear, uh, sort of combination, assimilation of all the ingredients you added to it. So if you added, I don't know, uh, mezcal and pineapple and lime and, uh, a little bit of chili pepper and green tea, which all these things would be very good together. Right. And then you toss in a little bit of milk. And if you do it in the right ratio and the right method, uh, what you end up with is perfectly clear. So the lime juice is now clear like water, right? Um, and the the pineapple or whatever you mix it with, that's not clear. Pineapple juice isn't clear, right? It's cloudy and then yellow. Like it, it comes through perfectly clear, um, but it tastes like everything, right? It tastes like the tequila or the mezcal and the lime juice and the pineapple and all the blah, 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 blah. It tastes like everything that's in it. And, and the cool thing about it too is that uh, you take that finished clarified punch and you can pour it into a bottle and put a cork in it and you can cellar it like wine for years and years and years. Oh, wow. So yeah, my, my best bet is that, uh, these were made originally, uh, back in the 16 and 17 and 1800s as a method of preservation, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe only once or twice a year, do you get these fresh ingredients? Yes. And when you have them, you got to figure out how to, you got to figure out how to preserve them. Right. And booze is a preservative. Acidity is a preservative. Sugar is a preservative. So you combine these three preservatives with your fresh ingredients that you maybe again only get on on one boat a year in your little town or your big town, and and you end up with uh, a beverage that you can drink all year long until you get that fresh citrus again, or you get those fresh pineapples again, right? Wow. I wish, I mean, I wish that our listeners could see Ari and I, because for a good five minutes, we were both like, both had our hands over our eyes because I'm in shock. First of all, mixologists, you deserve your name. You guys are, wow. I mean, that's, that's truly extraordinary. And it's so much more scientific than, okay, I'm making a Negroni. It's a third, a third, a third. And then I shake it over ice. Like that is really intense and sounds wonderful. Yeah, it can be wonderful. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and the nice thing about them, why I've always gravitated toward them, uh, is because a again, it, it sort of allowed me to to cook, you know, with booze. Right? It's right. it's it's a it's as much you can make milk punches without alcohol at all. You don't need mm-hmm. the alcohol per se, right? So you could easily make uh, make more food forward or food like clarifications that are more like a consomme, if you will. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's that, it's that marriage of bartending or mixology and cooking and cuisine. Right. Uh, what I will say is that, you know, the way I make Rockies, um, and you're right when I launched two years ago and, and leading up to launch as well, you know, uh, it was, it was my intention to, to offer the world's first milk punch since the 1800s. You know, it was, it was only, it's only been made, it's only been made in a, in a large 
format, you know, only only made by a company or or sold as a product uh, once in history in the 1800s, at least that I'm aware of. Um, And so it was my intention to be the first to bring it to market in like 150 years. That was the goal. Uh, And that's exactly what I did. But um, what I've learned kind of alluded to earlier, what I've learned um, over that two year period since since I've been selling it, introducing people to it, et cetera, is that you know, not everybody wants to learn all that history just to be able to pick up a bottle and fall in love, right? right. So my now, my current uh, approach is to really talk about what it tastes like, what to do with it, how, how, to, how to pour, pour a drink using Rockies for yourself and for your friends at home. And, and like, if you fall in love with the spirit and you're interested in learning more about the history, then I'm here for that. I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to speak to that. But you know, I'm, I'm actually redoing the, the, the branding and presentation of the spirit to really express uh, what it is categorically. And that's a liqueur. It's a modifier. So you can take a bottle of Rockies um, and pour it with gin or tequila or champagne or uh, bourbon, whatever it is you like to drink. Like that's, that's the idea. So even though, you know, the, the process and the inspiration uh, certainly is, is that of, you know, hundreds of years of people making milk punch, uh, you know, that's not what I'm focusing on right now. Um, it's, it's my, it's my goal to essentially say, it doesn't first and foremost matter what the history of this is. Let's just establish that you like, it, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. then, and then go from there. And so what then is your favorite way to drink Rockies or like, how do you, cause it almost, it sounds like, so it's a liqueur, but I'm like, okay, could I drink it on its own on the rocks or right. do I add seltzer or. Yeah. Um, so you can totally drink it on, on its own on the rocks. It's delicious. Um, it's a little sweet on its own, tart, fresh. Uh, it's made with green apple, pineapple, green tea, black tea, uh, lemon, lime, and orange. Um, it only has a little bit of alcohol, like wine. It's 12% alcohol, like, like a light white wine. Um, wow. and, and it's moderate sweetness. It's, it's uh, got about half the sugar of a standard liqueur, like you know, great liqueurs, like Luxardo Maraschino or Saint-Germain or Campari or whatever. You know, I, I intentionally wanted to go a little bit lighter so that people could drink them on their own. And right. you know, I love all I, I love all those liqueurs, but you know, not a whole lot of people are drinking Cointreau on the rocks. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> but but I want some in my margarita to be very clear. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I want I wanted something that somebody would would be able to just pour over ice and enjoy, or could use as a as an ingredient in a cocktail. Right. Um, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, a little splash of seltzer is great if you want to keep it simple or prosecco. Uh, it's wonderful as a spritz. Um, you can, uh, make a 50, 50, one of my favorite, uh, the, the, the house cocktail, if you will, at my, at my home is just 50, 50 with gin and a twist, like a simple martini. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Um, um, yeah, it makes a great, uh, margarita. If you're using it with heel or mezcal, uh, yeah, there's also, it makes a great Negroni or Manhattan too. If you're sort of like mixing it in and, and maybe pulling a little bit back on the sweet vermouth, um, in those, in those classic cocktails. But it's it's really I know I spent I spent nine months in my kitchen in Brooklyn uh, before I launched for the majority of 2018. I, I literally was just making batch after batch after batch after batch every day, trying to figure out what the right proportions of these ingredients um, should be, and what the right what right proportions are to be able to be that versatile modifier that's as good with vodka as it is with rum, as it is with tequila, as it is with champagne. Yeah, that's the idea. We both want to try it. Where can we find it? I'm on Drizzly. Uh, so anybody in New York or, you know, some parts of California, Florida, Massachusetts, um, et cetera, you can totally find Rockies on Drizzly. You know, the, the way that Drizzly works and not to get too behind the inside baseball, but like, you know, if there's a retailer close by that has the product that you're looking for, they'll, they'll be able to deliver it. But um, for anybody who doesn't see Rockies on Drizzly in their neighborhood, um, just go to the website. Awesome. My website. Yeah, my website has all the retailers that I work with um, and bars and restaurants as well that are incredible. And also uh, option, options for shipping. It's very simple. Cool. Yeah. There's like so much beautiful history in the making yeah. of alcohol and in yeah. these drinks that have come through years and years. I mean, it's 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 actually quite moving in a way. And the idea that you're bringing back this tradition that has, it's been around for so long, but people... Yeah you know, it hasn't been bottled, like you said, for 150 years. And, and it's just a very cool, I just love that you're, that you're continuing this history. I think it's very wonderful. I agree. And, and, uh, uh, I, I feel very fortunate to, to be sort of the mouthpiece for, for people seeing this again, talking about it again, tasting it again. That said, you know, I, I just, I know how important it is that, or at least I feel this is person personally important to me 
that if we're talking about something, if we're drinking something, if we're doing something, you know, it has to, it has to be uh, cool from a historical perspective, but also relevant, you know, like if I just make something that used to be made, like, uh, you know, if I make a buggy whip for, for horses, you know, like, cool. Oh, that's great. Oh, I was, I was like, is that a cocktail? <laughs> oh, oh, you've oh, got to make the buggy whip. I mean, 2021, yeah. someone's oh got to make that cocktail. <laughs> right. That's funny. That's really funny. No, but I'm saying like, like literally, like if I, if I make something that used to be very important, but is no longer important at all, right. I mean, what's the point, right? What's right. the, what's the point? Why am I doing it? You know? So, so I, I learned quickly that being on market for two years, introducing people to it, then don't get me wrong. There were plenty of bar geeks and, and cocktail nerds, et cetera, that got really excited about the history. But at this point, you know, most of those people, um, either directly or indirectly, I've encountered over the last two years and I've interfaced with and, um, you know, taught a class in New Orleans or Portland or Boston or Colorado or wherever, any of the dozens of places I've taught classes just in America alone, let alone the places in, in Europe, Asia, and so on and so forth in South America. So, you know, I feel like the people who I needed to touch that needed, wanted to learn about this for the nerd factor, the history factor, we've, we've, we've made contact, right? Um, and, and now, now, uh, ideally with those people as advocates, uh, mm -hmm. I'm anxious to, to, to find people who I can connect with because there's something fundamentally delicious about Rockies, you yes, know, and, and then if you want to nerd out past that, cool. But like, let's just have, let's have fun together first. Okay. Ari and I are, I know we said like, we're not mixologists, but we both love to drink. We do make drinks at home, of course, and we both throw yeah. a lot of parties. So punch is actually like one of our go-to things. We make sure, sure. or water, which is like, usually we do it with tequila or you could do it with vodka and a bunch of watermelon, maybe some like jalapeno, <laughs> simple syrup, like that kind of thing. What are some Great. other easy punches for a crowd, particularly now that we're in these, you know, the winter doldrums, like what are some favorite punches? I've never really thought about cocktails that way, um, to be honest with you. Um, because, you know, most of the cocktails in early cocktail books, and you could argue even now, uh, at least a large majority of them or a large percentage of them, you know, they're just scaled down punches, you know? Right. Um, and, and so if you think about your punches uh, now, perhaps as scaled up cocktails, then it, it mm -hmm. works both ways. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so I don't, I don't worry about it too much. I just more or less worry about, you know, is the drink going to be delicious from the beginning of the party to ish the end of the party. Right. Or right. until you yeah. drink it all. And that's, that's more what I worry about. So like, if I'm looking to elevate my drinking experience at a home, you know, whether it's mine or somebody else's, like the night before I take a couple you know, to go containers and throw them into the fridge with ice, throw them to the freezer, freezer, yes. you know, to, to, to make like a nice big chunk of ice and maybe throw, if you want to be super fancy pants, you know, throw some basil or some mint or some cucumber or whatever right. into the water so that you have a beautiful and, and really big ass frozen piece of ice. So you can take your tequila or your vodka or whatever it is you're making a punch out of. Hopefully some Rockies as well. Yes. Um, yes. And, and uh, you know, throw it into a big bowl or whatever and toss in your big ice cube and throw in a bottle of Prosecco and, you know, some, some uh, uh, limes or, or oranges or whatever, whatever makes you happy. And, and it's going to taste great. You know, it's going to taste great. And I don't, I don't hem and haw too much about what goes into the bowl. Um, it's pretty intuitive, at least for me. Um, I think for most people as well, it sounds like you guys have, have, have it pretty well pegged. Uh, but I, I worry more about not worry, but like, I think more about like, how do I make sure that the first cup of this is as delicious as the 50th cup? And the way to do that is big pieces of ice. And that takes huh. 14 seconds. You know what I mean? To yeah, fill up right. a to-go container and throw it into your freezer. Right. Uh, so a little stuff like that, or, you know, if you wanted to take more time and effort to, to get a, get a few bottles and to make your punch in the morning or the afternoon before your friends come over and to fill the bottles and put those into your fridge so people can just pour themselves as they would a glass of wine, right? So then you don't even have to worry about it, right? But uh, I don't know, there's all sorts of stuff you can do. Um, I think too, there's no reason, depending on what you're trying to achieve, there's no reason that you necessarily have to make a classic punch for parties. You know, then it makes sense. I, I get it, it's awesome. But like, I have a, I have a friend uh, who she perpetually and always just has 
uh, bottled Negronis, bottled Martinis, bottled Manhattans, and mm. she makes them herself. She just goes to the goes to the the little spirit store, you know, in in her neighborhood, and she gets sweet vermouth and Campari and gin, and just combines them in, in like one bottle each. It's so simple, and yeah. then you just fill the exact same bottles that the booze came out of with the new mixture, and then yeah. you put it in your fridge, and you just always have perfectly made Negronis in your that fridge, always. Such a good, because Ari and I talk a lot about like, okay, when friends come over, you know, we'll usually, we'll do a punch because it feels so festive. Or we're like, okay, you know, you, we just have a big bucket full of ice and a bunch of different wines, serve yourself, of course. And we're yeah. always like, there's no way that I'm mixing somebody a cocktail. Right. Duh, this is the way to do it. It's so easy. Cause it's like, so I would easy. love when somebody comes in to be able to say, do you want to, a super dry martini it's right here yeah instead of like, right. you know, having to go through the stress totally and i mean you could then uh it would be fun you know i actually there was a, a buddy of mine we talked about very like playfully but it would it would work you know opening a bar that only did this you know like only had martinis and manhattans and negronis and old fashions and you can bottle these things without a, even a modicum of loss of quality and in fact you can make the argument that if you nail your ratio it's only better because every single cocktail is exactly the same. You have a consistent right. cocktail, right? Yeah. Right. So, so there's an argument to me that your product quality actually goes up by batching them, so to speak, in this way. But yeah, you know, like doing a gin martini with three bottles of um, of good gin and one bottle of good dry vermouth, and maybe peeling an entire lemon and slipping it into the bottle so that over mm. the course of a couple of hours, like it gets all the flavor. And you know, it's it's easy. It's it's easier to do that. You could literally do that in less than a minute uh, from start to finish. Um, It's easier to do that by far than it is, you know, stirring a bunch of cocktails and making a big peeling things and juicing things. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't do that, but we should do that. But like, you know what, you know what (laughs) happens to the, to the, to the rest of your punch if nobody drinks at the end of the party, it goes bad or you throw it out. It gets, it gets weird. But you know what happens to your, to your Negroni if nobody drinks it? It keeps, it goes back in the fridge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Right. Now, logistically because now this is what i'm going to start doing i can't believe yeah. i really thought this i feel so stupid now would you shake those in a shaker no right you would just mix them in a bowl because the point of shaking them with ice is to cool it right well so, you- so there there are two there there are two or three depending on how you look at it reasons to shake something specifically as opposed to stirring it you know um if you're shaking something you're almost always doing it with something that contains fresh citrus juice or some sort of juice in general, right? right? That is already by definition opaque. So you don't really care about keeping it clear, right? right? And you could argue too that the texture of the drink, if you shake a margarita, there's that little bit of bubble, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's nice. And you get that only if you shake it aggressively. So you get it for, you do it for texture um, and and sort of life. It gives a life to the cocktail. Uh, Chill is the second reason. Um, and dilution is the third. You really, you, those are three very important reasons you want to shake something. Um, and dilution should not be discounted. And I think this kind of gets to the core of your question as I understood it. You know, uh, if, if you just take, you know, uh, and I know people who do this or have done this, and I think it it, it is always silly, you know, they take a a bottle of gin or vodka and they put it in the freezer and then they pour it into a martini glass and they're like, this is a martini. It's like, no, it's not a martini. It needs to be diluted, right? Yeah. Um, if it's not properly diluted, A, it's way too, way, way, way too boozy. Yeah. You know, and there's no, for me, there's nothing, there's no reason to be proud of drinking something that's too boozy. Then you're just going to be sloppy and gross. You know, I can get there drinking things that aren't too boozy if I want to. So uh, let's not expedite the process. But right. um, you want dilution because if you're drinking something that's like, you know, a gin or a tequila or whatever, something that's nuanced and nice, you don't get that unless it's it's a little bit proofed down or or has been has been diluted a bit, and so you know that's why you shake. Um, you stir things for the same two reasons for for chill and dilution. Um, but because you you're probably if you're uh, stirring something, doing a martini, a Manhattan, old fashioned, etc., you're working with clear ingredients. You don't want to disrupt that clarity, right? Yeah. If you, if you shake a martini and I get the Vesper thing, it's super cool. It's a fun, you know, James Bond reference. But like, mm-hmm. I want my I want I want my martini clear and rich and and oily. You know what I'm saying? And yes. you, you don't get that if you shake it. You get that if you stir it and you maintain the viscosity, right? So um, those are the distinctions between shaking and stirring. Let's say right? we're doing a martini. 
would you fill a bowl with ice and then like do, you know, make a whole thing and then just stir it in the ice and then funnel it into a, an old wine? Absolutely. No, you absolutely could. Um, well, okay. So if you were, if you were batching, uh, your martini to be finished, completely finished, start to finish, uh, then I would, I would do, uh, like call it three bottles of gin, one bottle of vermouth, and then one bottle of water. Oh. Right. And then mix them and then rebottle all those things, you know, to, to account for dilution. And then you can keep them in the freezer or, or on really, on like really well packed in ice and then simply pour them into martini glasses and you're good to go. But, you know, if you're doing margaritas, um, you know, you could then just pour and shake to order if you were right. willing to do that step. If you're doing Negronis, uh, you could just keep the bottles out on, on um, you know, a counter or on ice if you wish. And generally, not always, but generally people pour Negronis over ice. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to necessarily even worry about the, the dilution so much because if you pour it over ice, it's going to dilute and sort of find balance on its own in the glass, right? Wow, That's this awesome. is you're, you're schooling us. This is really yeah. Oh yeah. Helpful. Great. I feel like Happy I'm getting a, f- a a free lesson. I know that you are yeah. a teacher. This is amazing. I'm literally taking notes. So as someone who is an expert and yeah. you know a lifelong person in this in this field, are do you feel like you don't discriminate against, you know, any cocktails or are there like things you won't drink or things you just think are bad? You know, I've never drawn lines in the sand like that. You know, like the way I always say it to people, I'm like, um, I think Doritos are delicious, you know? Oh, we couldn't agree more. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. There's, the there's no two ways around it. They're delicious. And, Fact. And I, yeah. And, and also half of all the fine dining restaurants in the world, if not more at this point, are experimenting, if not full on, immersion uh uh uh, using ingredients and techniques that were pioneered by fast food and and uh um snack food right you know emulsifiers and clarification agents and stabilizers and thickeners and hydrocolloids in general you know all of these were pioneered by fast food chains you know and fine dining restaurants didn't invent you know ultra techs and Pectin X and you know guar gum and xanthan gum and all these right. like fine dining restaurants didn't do any of that like you know we and uh, great great bar people great cooks great chefs you know came across came across these techniques or said to themselves I want to create Velveeta as a good example you know and and it's like well I want to I want to create Velveeta but I want to use a great cheese. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. I want to use like like Appenzeller or Gruyere or great cheddar or Parmigiano or whatever. You know, I want to create create the same texture that you get from Velveeta, but with actually extremely high quality cheese. And mm-hmm. it's a protein denaturing compound called sodium citrate that makes that possible. And you can buy it for like 10 bucks. It's cheap and it's easy. It's like a magic trick. You sprinkle a little bit in, you add in some nice cheese, and you like add a little bit of water or milk to sort of like just get it flowing. And the whole thing just turns into like the most beautiful fondue ever. Oh, right, and you can. Oh my god, this is so yeah, interesting. You, totally, you can buy it for literally like ten or twelve dollars on Amazon for more sodium citrate than you'll ever need in your whole life. Does um, it do it with cheese, or does it do it with other compounds as well? Like what? Like yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Of like I'm like, if you sprinkle it on a on like a grape, like celery, what's happen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've never tried. Well, so the way it works, the way it works. Do <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way it works with cheese is you know. Cheese is a bunch of coagulated, you know, sort of coiled proteins. And this, this stuff comes along and sort of smooths them out, right? right? So, so I don't know what it would do if you did it to grapefruit. I have no idea. I've never tried. Uh, you should. Um, but I guess the, the whole point is, like, people who are like, I will never drink that. It's bad. It's, it's shitty whiskey or whatever. I'm just like, slow your roll. You're literally <laughs> eating... Cheetos right now. I know yeah. you were at Taco Bell last night. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, calm down, you know, right. and, or, or, or whatever. And I think all those things are amazing. I, I, you know, there's a reason that we love them. Um, and, and also too, just perspective is important to me. You know, uh, whenever people are like, Oh, that bourbon is garbage. I'm like, is mm-hmm. it though? Cause, because, you know, and this is true to make American whiskey, you really, really have to 
establish a pretty fundamental baseline of quality. It's pretty difficult to make an American whiskey that's truly bad. I'm not saying that there's not really, really great ones. I'm not saying that there's not whiskeys that you know you or whoever might like more than others, of course. But to make a truly bad American right. whiskey, it's pretty tough. Uh, and so whenever people are like, I like, I love bourbon and I hate that bourbon, I'm like, why though? You know, yeah. why, why, why can't it just be that you just don't love that one in particular or you prefer others? So um, there, to, long-winded answer to your question, I'm not, I'm not about, I'm not about, you know, uh, just for the sake of saying this is bad, or I refuse to drink that or eat that or go there, whatever. I'm not about that. You know, there has to be a reason, you know, maybe, and what is true though, is like, you know, let's try to decrease our carbon footprints in general or focus on, you know, renewable resources in general and like care for the environment in general, like all these things, like I can get behind that. Uh, or, or like, let's not drink this or eat this or do that or, or talk to these people or do this thing because, you know, the company that they represent or the, the people that are behind it, you know, are doing some really awful things to, uh, right. uh, with, with regard to their labor force and, and the mm-hmm. people who are, who are, you know, picking their chocolate, you know, picking their co- cacao and their, their cocoa pods right. um, in, you know, wherever or coffee, et cetera. Like I'm a, all about that sort of social action and, and, you know, sort of like educated and informed discrimination between good and bad. Um, but, but I'm not about, I'm not about just, you know, I think this is dumb, you know, because I just don't like it. Yeah, totally. So you'll be the first person to drink like bubblegum flavored absolute vodka. Cause Hey, why not? (laughs) No, I'm just, I totally, I, but it's, I mean, Ari and I talk a lot about sort of like the mixing of high and low and like, there is a place and a time of course to have a Budweiser or a Coors Light and enjoy it yeah well what's funny about your specific example because i don't want to let it get away from me you know you ever heard of the bar taylor no taylor it's sadly closed uh it was on broom street uh for a few years it was a restaurant and bar their original um bartender um uh and maybe maybe i i just don't recall honestly maybe he was there throughout the life of the bar uh there's a friend of mine eben freeman one of the most talented intelligent um bar professionals um, of his time. And, and I think even today he, he still is innovative and, and thoughtful. And one of his cocktails on his menu was a bazooka bubblegum cocktail. Um, ah. and the thing is, and that's, that's what I think is so funny. It's like, you know, bartenders and cooks and people in general, you know, regardless of the industry, we're all so prepared to, to poo poo things, mm. you know, until, until we're like, no, no, I'm going to be the one who's playful and ironic and do this. And it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm you're making bubblegum vodka. This is great. You know, let's all mm-hmm. celebrate it and have some fun with it, you know? And, uh, and I, I think it was really fun what Evan did at that bar. Um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, you clearly, you clearly have a, have a mind for these things because you, you called one of the greats out. That's so funny. I actually have a really big question. Ari and I get asked a lot, what are good drinks to serve people who are not drinking alcohol? And I think like you're mm. always stumped. We're like, well, ginger beer, of course, is great. Like I love elderflower cordial or cassis or something like that. But what, I don't know, what, do you have any, any brilliant ideas that we can tell our listeners about? I don't know about brilliant, but um, so I, I essentially, I have Rockies as my number one, my main squeeze. And then, you know, Athletics Brewing as a good example, you know, a phenomenal brewery that, uh, that really crafts, um, beers that are category specific. It's not just some miscellaneous non-alcoholic or, or, you know, uh, a sort of alcohol treated, you know, beer that, that doesn't really taste very good. You know, their IPA is delicious. Their lagers are delicious. They really do a good job of crafting beer that is on its own a standalone and delicious beverage and also happens to be non-alcoholic, right? Um, super cool. And, uh, you know, uh, Kin Euphorics is also a cool one uh, that's yeah. kind of like a non-alcoholic Amaro, you know, of sorts. Um, there's and uh, one of the one of the most fun um, uh, producers is Seedlip. Uh, it's owned by a guy named Ben Branson, um, who's a friend. I love him. His distillate is amazing. Uh, there's also a company called Liars out of uh, Australia that's really doing some fun stuff. And what they've done that I like. Uh, that I don't think anyone else has done, at least not as well, is that they've taken a look at the rail. And what that means in a bar is they're looking at their, at their 
must have spirits. They're vodka, they're gin, they're vermouth, they're absinthe, they're sweet vermouth, they're blah, blah, blah. They're dark rum, light rum, blah, blah, blah. You know, so all these uh, bourbon, scotch, they've looked at the entire rail, or some people call it a well, and they've mm-hmm. said, we are going to make everything in this, and we're going to do oh. it without alcohol. So wow. Myers is, uh, yeah, it's L-Y-R-E apostrophe S. Wow, yeah. this, is such, this is really, really useful, because I, I always feel a little like, oh God, I, I want to have a good answer because it's a very valuable question. Sure. Totally. But I'm always like, I don't know, juice. I mean, so this is great. <laughs> right. Well, uh, that's juice? unfortunately, yeah, that's that's how a lot of people have viewed uh, non-alcoholic cocktails for a long time. I'm like, if they should be given the same, you know, love and attention as any other cocktail. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Before we let you go, yes, indeed. We do have one final question that we like to ask all of our guests, mm-hmm. which is a very, very serious question. If you were stuck on a desert island and you could only mm. have one type of chips, what mm. would they be? That's a good question. Was very uh, do, I get, do I get dip? No. No dip, just a chip. Uh, I think I would probably go with Lay's sour cream and onion. Mm, but nice. if I had dip, if I had dip, I would go, I would go Lay's ruffles and plain, plain ruffles. And, um, and then I would make the French's sour cream and onion dip. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Like where you take the French onion soup and you dump it into a pint Packet. of sour cream. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Super cool. I uh, do feel I- a lot cooler. I bought a bottle of Rocky's Milk Punch because they sell it at Bottle Rocket right by my house. Yes. I bought a bottle. I tried it. It really is. It's so interesting because it's, the flavor is very, very specific and yet it's very versatile. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It's like, it it does work with all of these different alcohols, even though the flavor is very specific, which I thought was really interesting. I guess I had imagined it to be like, I could put my finger on what exactly the flavor was, but it tastes Uh. kind of unlike anything that I'm really familiar with, which is so exciting. Well, thank you, Eamon, for coming on. You have taught us so much about punch. I also have to think, I have to think, I have to thank Kate Cortellu who introduced us to Eamon. Kate, thank you so much. This was such an exciting episode. You really knew who to hook us up with. So thank you. And I hope you guys uh, have a wonderful weekend. All of our listeners out there, make some punch. Get a little funky with your cocktails. Try and find some Rocky's Milk Punch near you if if you can. And we will see you guys next week at Chip Hour and back here for a new episode of Having a Night. Woo! Oh, wait. Hold on. Also, one of our listeners, Trisha, is listening to our entire podcast from the very beginning. And I was so chuffed when I read that. So, so sweet. Just saying, if you guys have like jumped in in the middle of season three, why don't you go back and listen to season one? Yeah. Wow. Give us your feedback. Love yeah. you. Exactly. Please give us feedback. Okay. Anyway, we love you. Bye. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.